Let's return to our series through John today by going to John chapter 21. Last week I put that on hold to give a, what I called a Father's Day message. And I addressed the need for continuing patriarchal families. The nuclear family is under attack in our nation. We just need to stay with God's plan for the family and demonstrate that His ways are always best. Amen. So we'll pick back up where we left off two weeks ago. If you're in John chapter 21, I'm going to begin reading in verse 1 and go down to verse 14. After these things, Jesus showed Himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and on this wise showed He Himself. There were together Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus, and Nathanael of Cana and Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee and two other of His disciples. Do those things ever make you just pause and wonder why they didn't give their names? Verse 3, Simon Peter saith unto them, I go a fishing. They say unto him, We also go with thee. They went forth and entered into a ship immediately, and that night they caught nothing. But when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. Then Jesus saith unto them, Children, have ye any meat? They answered him, No. And he said unto them, Cast the net on the right side of the ship, and ye shall find. They cast therefore, and now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. Therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved saith unto Peter, It is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he girt his fisher's coat unto him, for he was naked, and did cast himself into the sea. And the other disciple came in the little ship, for they were not far from land, but as it were two hundred cubits, dragging the net with fishes. And as soon as they were come to the land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid thereon in bread. Jesus saith unto them, Bring of the fish which ye have now caught. Simon Peter went and drew the net to land, full of great fishes, a hundred and fifty and three. And for all that were so many, yet was the net not broken. Jesus saith unto them, Come and dine. None of the disciples durst ask him, Who art thou, knowing that it was the Lord? Jesus then cometh and taketh bread and giveth them, and fish likewise. This is now the third time that Jesus showed Himself to His disciples. After that, He was risen from the dead. Amen and amen. And Adrian, I was thinking as I was reading that, had that been fish and chips, you would have been, that would have been perfect. Amen. But it was fish and bread. Okay. All right. So, last time I brought out from verse 3 the impact leadership can have. Peter says, I go a-fishing. The others followed him. As a leader, they went fishing also. And you say, how do I know if I'm a leader? You know you're a leader when other people are following you. Not self-professed leaders. Amen. I'm the leader of this pew right here. <laughs> are people following you? Amen, Kim. He just usurped your authority, Brother Furs. <laughs> well, this little half of the church is having fun. The rest of you get on board. Anyway, um, if people are following you, you're a leader. Listen, as a leader, you don't need to shy away from being observed. Instead of viewing that as a burden, view it as an opportunity to show forth Christ in your life and in your family. Let people follow you as you follow Christ. Isn't that what the Apostle Paul said? Follow me as I follow Christ and you'll be just fine. Wow. But what if we mess up along the way? It's going to happen. 
it's still an opportunity. It's not that we justify sin, but we show how we are human. We're all in this Christian life together. No one's above anybody else. We all need help from other people. We all need others to come along and say, you know what, you goofed up. It's okay. Because we're all in this thing together, we all need the grace of God. We need others to help us along. You see, none of us are at the point where God's done working on us. That's just the way it is. We're all being conformed into the image of Christ. We all make mistakes. But I would tell you this morning, just confess your sin. Get it under the blood. Learn from that mistake and move on. Move on. And in so doing, we show forth Christ's forgiveness. Now, please understand, I'm not talking about a license to sin. Habitually committing the same sin over and over and acting like it's not a problem is a problem. But I'm talking about how a just man falleth seven times and he riseth up again. Psalm 37, 23 and 24 says, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. Well, that's great. But listen to what the rest of it says. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. So unfortunately, even as leaders, we will have missteps along the way that others will see. But we have to demonstrate what repentance looks like and show forth the Lord's mercy and grace in our life and in others. And just how God's not done with us. So even in our failures, I believe there's an opportunity to lead. I'm not justifying the failure. Amen. All right. Now, as we begin today, let's remember that when these men go fishing, they aren't fishing recreationally. Amen. Listen, they don't have their little koozie can holder things for Pepsi. All right? This is like commercial fishing here. This is, this is business fishing. This is hard work. They still had to provide for their families during the transition period between Christ's earthly ministry and their ministry of continuing Christ's work. But notice in the last half of verse 3, it says, They went forth, entered into a ship immediately, and that night they caught nothing. Uh-oh. This was not a new business venture for these men. This is what they did. They knew how to fish. We know for sure that Peter and John and James, the sons of Zebedee, that are mentioned in verse 2, this is, they were experienced fishermen. Commercial fishing is what they knew. And even with their years of experience, they still came up empty. They caught nothing. In verse 4, when morning was come, we find Jesus has showed up. He's standing on the seashore, but the disciples don't know that it's Him yet. The other two occasions, verse 14 there says, this is the third time that He's appeared. The other two occasions we covered in the previous chapter, one was resurrection morning and one was a week later on a, on a Sunday night. Now, I believe it's natural for us to wonder, how did these men not recognize Jesus again? I, these are things I wonder. But let's not forget that when Jesus resurrected, He had another form which was not at first recognizable. Mary didn't recognize Jesus until He spoke to her, said her name actually. Luke 24, we have the account of these two walking back to Emmaus from Jerusalem. Jesus is walking beside them and they don't know it's Him. And of that account, Mark 16, I believe it is, tells us that Jesus had appeared unto them in another form. So that might be the reason why. 
It could be something just as simple as the distance they were from land. We read in our text here that they were 200 cubits. That's maybe not far in fishing terms as it indicates, but that's still 100 yards away. So I tried to picture myself standing on a football field. That's American football, Breck. Yeah, we got to deal with the Europeans among us. And I picture myself standing on the goal line. Are they the same distance, by the way? Oh, okay. See, nobody cares. Nobody knows. Um, so I picture myself standing on the goal line, and I'm looking down 100 yards to the other goal line. Could I recognize somebody at that distance? That's what I was trying to figure out, and I don't know. I, I think I could now. I have surgically repaired eyes. I don't know how long that's going to last, Brother Long. I'm starting to get to where I can't see up close. But I think I could now. I can see, I can see through walls practically now. Um, for example, I can look this way. I, you can't see anything, but I see that the parking lot's full. It's just amazing. But I can remember there was a time when I had to wear eyeglasses. If I didn't have my eyeglasses on, I couldn't have made out who that was standing that far away. And so maybe that's it. I don't know. I've made the case that we don't need to jump to conclusions and rebuke these men too hard for fishing again. But we also shouldn't discount the possibility that maybe they're not in the right frame of mind here because they're not recognizing Jesus at first. Stay with me. Remember when Jesus miraculously fed the 5,000 beside the women and children? And after that, Jesus tells His disciples, He says, y'all get in the boat. He probably didn't say y'all. Y'all get in the boat and, and go over yonder to the other side to Bethsaida. And so He says, I'm going to send the people away. Jesus went on the mountain to pray. As the disciples were going to the other side, remember the winds were contrary to them. The Bible says they were rowing hard. And Jesus comes walking upon the water. And He was making like He was just going to pass them. And, and they, see, they, they see this, and they, the Bible says in Mark 6, 49, they supposed it had been a spirit, meaning they thought it was like a phantom, which always makes me think of Scooby-Doo, but anyway. Um, you know, I keep waiting for them to take the mask off. And, oh, it was Karen the whole time. Um, and, and listen, they saw this. They thought it was a phantom. They cry out. They're in fear. You ever seen somebody walk on the waves? And they cry out. They were troubled. Jesus said to them, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And when he went up into the boat, the Bible says the wind ceased. Listen to this. They were sore amazed in themselves beyond measure and wonder. They're standing there going, What in the world has just happened? And then in Mark 6, 52, it gives the reason for their amazement and their lack of discerning Jesus. It says this. For they considered not the miracle of the loaves, for their heart was hardened. What was the problem? Their heart was hardened. They couldn't recognize Jesus. There is something in the Bible, there's a connection here between hard hearts and not recognizing the Lord. Somewhere between Jerusalem and Galilee, maybe their hearts got a little hardened. And I want to use this as an opportunity to tell you that if you constantly find yourself not getting anything from the Word of God, you need to check your heart. If you go to the Bible and you don't see you don't understand all the time. I'm not talking about the latter half of Ezekiel. Amen. Yeah, that's when all of you who actually read your Bible say, Amen. I'm not talking about that. But listen, if all the time you're going there and you're not sensing the Holy Spirit minister to you and you're not getting anything out of that, then you've got to do some soul searching. Because hard hearts 
lead to blinded eyes. It closes off the manifestation of God in our life. And we don't recognize as we should. Well, the fact remains, we're not given the reason for their lack of recognizing Jesus. So I better be careful because that's how false teachings begin. But I would encourage you to try and place yourself in these men's position. They didn't yet have a clear picture of all, that, of all how this was going to unfold. This was a transitional period. Jesus had walked with them physically for three and a half years, but now they're transitioning to a point where they're going to walk with Jesus and never see Him physically again upon this earth. So let's not be you know, too critical. This was a, a, a difficult period for them, no doubt. How were they to know how many times the Lord would show up? You know, you ever, you ever wondered, okay, Jesus showed up twice in Jerusalem. He had told them He was going to show up in Galilee, and they really should have had that in mind, but uh, that aside, every time Jesus appeared, they're probably wondering if that was the last time they'd ever see Him again. So uh, who knows what's going through their minds here. But anyway, when Jesus ascended, then He made it clear, you're not going to see me anymore until I return. Amen. I'm looking forward to that day. So they don't recognize this man standing on the seashore as Jesus. But we see in verse 5, Jesus asked them, Children, have ye any meat? Now obviously Jesus knows the answers to the question. But he asked this question because he's beginning the process of getting them, to, uh, getting them dialed in to what he's about to do and how he's going to make himself known to them. And he uses this term, children. Now I don't think that was a custom, customary way of speaking back then. To strangers. Maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. I know it's not today. Like, I just don't walk up to dudes on a corner and be like, what's up, children? <laughs> and, and so he calls them children. I believe he's trying to get them, uh, again, get them to start this process because over there in John 13, 33, on the night of his betrayal, Jesus calls them little children. And he uses a term that he had already called them before. The disciples, though, they probably see this man asking this question if they had any meat, because they're thinking this guy's probably a potential customer. Do you have any meat? Is there anything I can buy? And they answer him, no. Now, for those of you who fish, enjoy fishing, if you go fishing and you catch nothing and you're walking back to your car and somebody comes up to you and says, did you catch anything? You don't want to have to say no. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> you don't want to have to say But these men, they caught nothing. And listen, I, I don't want to have to answer that question when I'm fishing recreationally. They were fishing commercially. And they have to say, no, we got nothing to sell you. Maybe that's, I don't know. But I want you to get this. They spent all night laboring. They knew what they were doing. They caught nothing. Now understand, Jesus is now confronting their lack of provision. I want you to get that. He's confronting their lack of... Of provision. And it's worthwhile to know that when Peter said, I go a fishing, apparently none of them sought the Lord. You catching this? Remember in John 15, 5, Jesus told them, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, ye can do nothing. By the way, neither can we. These men couldn't see the results. Listen, they couldn't see the results at what they were good at without the Lord. They knew what they were doing. And, and what we find is God. He brings us into circumstances in our life 
where we have to be honest about our lack of success. And we must be honest about it because the Lord, what He's trying to do is He's trying to show us His provision. But oftentimes we hem-haw around the obvious answer. And we press on with what we're good at. What we know we are gifted to do. But we can find ourselves doing so without the power of God upon our lives. Many years ago, I confessed to the Lord I had no talents to give Him. And that was pretty much a true statement, other than I could throw a football, shoot a basketball, and catch a baseball. Lord, I've got nothing to offer you. I can't turn a wrench. I, don't, I look underneath a car, Josiah, and I just see a bunch of wires. Uh, Lord, would you take my mouth? Would you just use my mouth for your honor and your glory? And I know there are many who are far more gifted than I am in speaking, but I can also tell you God answered that prayer, and He gifted me to speak. It's what I do. It's what I do. I remember I gave a speech in junior high and I got a standing ovation. I don't know why. It was like I'm being the treasurer or something. Elect me as treasurer. Probably because I look so good. What was that? Oh, debate team. Okay, thank you, sir. I could have swore you said something else. When I was in the military, I, I always won the speaker awards in all of the schools I went to. As an instructor, I always got the presentation awards. And this is not a brag. I'm just saying this is what God put me on this earth to do. Right here. This is what God put me on this earth. He's enabled me to speak in front of people from a very early age. But after 22 years of I said all that to say this. After 22 years of preaching this week. By the way, yesterday was my 31st spiritual birthday. Hallelujah. No. 30 seconds. How long has it been? 33? 30. 30 it's been a while. <laughs> 31. I can tell you this after 22 years of preaching. I can manufacture a sermon. Everybody hear me? Yeah. I can put a sermon together. I can present it all without the power of God upon it. I can preach but with no results. Because I do it in my strength. How can this be? Because this is what I know how to do. On the other hand, I've seen it and maybe you have too. You can watch an uneducated hillbilly from the north hills of Georgia, where we're from, get up in the pulpit, not know all 66 books of the Bible, and with the Spirit of God upon it. Like the precious ointment upon Aaron that ran down his beard unto his feet. And that man can preach. And the power of God will fall. What's the difference? One is doing it in their own strength. One is doing it with God. You see, that person has learned that he is insufficient apart from God. Amen. Listen to me. This body of believers, we know how to put on a church service. That's what we've been doing for over 42 years now. We know how to do it. We can put songs together. We can pray. We can have special music. We can preach. We can give an altar call because this is what we know how to do. But we can do it all without God. 
We go through the motions and we go through the routines and we meet together. But I want to tell you, all is vain unless the Spirit of the Holy One come down. There are times when we have to be honest about our lack of success in God's sight. And we have to admit that we've left Him out and that we need His presence to return if we're going to be effective. How many times do we meet because this is what we know how to do? But all without God. Let me ask you, did you pray about our gathering together today? Or did you just show up? You see, this is what we do. Did you ask God to anoint the speaker with power from on high? Or did you just assume we're going along just fine? Did I pray about what God would have me to preach? Did our song leader pray about what songs we were to sing this morning? Did our special singer pray about what God would have them to sing? Are we truly desirous for God's blessing upon this body of believers? And I want to tell you, this thought is applicable across all areas of life. Are you seeking the Lord in your secular business ventures? Are you seeking God in your place of employment? Are you seeking God at your school? How about in your homes? Your marriage will be off or it will come to an end even if you're trying to have a marriage without God. You will fail your children without God. Our families need the God who builds the house or else we're just laboring in vain. These men, they knew how to fish. It's what they were gifted to do. They went through all the right uh, motions. They no doubt were mechanically sound in how they cast that net. But without God, they came up empty that night. Are you coming up empty in your Bible reading? Are you coming up empty in your prayer life? Are you coming up empty in your church attendance? Are you coming up empty in witnessing? You might be mechanically sound, but are you doing things without the Lord? So our Lord here, He allows these men to find themselves in a position of a lack of provision because He wants to manifest Himself to them and He wants to give His provision to them. But first, there is the matter of obedience. Look at verse 6. Jesus says to them, Cast thy net on the right side of the ship and ye shall find. Now, these men have a decision to make at this point, don't they? Do they obey this command or do they just dismiss it and chalk it up to, we know what we're doing, this is what we've done. There's no fish to be caught. But can I tell you, don't expect God to bless so long as you're trying to do things without Him. You may be going through a situation today and you are desperately in need of God's provision. And I want you to know, God has brought you to that so that He can meet your need. You may not, you may have all the right motions down, but you may not really be obeying God with all your heart in the process. Maybe you're prideful and you think you have it all figured out. Maybe you're regarding iniquity in your heart. Maybe there's a root of bitterness that is still there somewhere. Maybe you've got a hard heart this morning. Maybe you're just refusing to live holy. 
You can check all the right boxes mechanically. You can be mechanically sound. And you can do all these things, but you can do so without wholly following the Lord. I want to tell you, this is a big deal with many. When you try to help them, they give you how they are doing things right. And yet they admit they're still coming up empty. Somebody comes in, I say, how's your Bible reading? Oh, I'm reading my Bible. I'm just not getting anything out of it. I tried submitting to my husband, but he never did love me back. Well, I tried to love my wife, but she never did submit to me. I tried to discipline my children, but they never listened. Your problem is you're only obeying a command with the hopes that it changes somebody else. Hear me well. We aren't to obey for the sake of someone else. But we obey God because it's the right thing for us to do regardless of the outcome. Thankfully, I have seen those times when a couple learns to just do right because it pleases God, not because they want their spouse to change. And in time, they begin to see God work in their marriage. Why? Because now they're not concerned over whether or not so-and-so is living right, but they're worried about whether or not they're living right themselves. They're interested now in seeing results in themselves. And it could be that our Lord is trying to say to some of you, Why don't you do the same thing you've been doing, but this time, do it with me in view. Get your eyes off of them. Get your eyes onto me. He wants to give you the provision you need, but you have to stop wasting your time with all of the excuses and how you've already tried, but you're still coming up empty. Jesus says, cast your net on the right side of the ship and you'll find... Listen, understand this. Christ can see what we can't see. He knows what we don't know. He can do what we can't do. And it all comes down to simple hard obedience to obeying what the Lord's commanded. We already saw in verse 5, He called them children. And all He wants from us is simple childlike faith. Childlike obedience. We can always trust God's commands as His children. He'll never lead His children astray. Now let's notice the result of them obeying Christ in the second half of verse 6. They cast therefore, and now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. Because of their obedience, there was an abundance. God met their need and a lot more. And when we allow Christ to intervene, there's never a lack. And there's often an abundance. Ephesians 3.20 says, Now unto Him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. Christ provides a full salvation. There's nothing we can add to it or take away from it. Christ provides a well of water that is springing up into everlasting life. Out of our belly shall flow rivers of living water. He came that we might have life and that we might have it more abundantly. 
Luke 6, 38 says, Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure that ye meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. Malachi 3.10 says, Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house. And prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. God is abundant in His provision. He offers an abundance of peace. He is rich in mercy and in grace. His compassions fail not, and He is so long-suffering with us. Amen. Psalm 36, verses 7 and 8, How excellent is Thy loving kindness, O God! Therefore the children of men put their trust under the shadow of Thy wings. They shall be abundantly satisfied with the fatness of Thy house, and Thou shalt make them to drink of the river of pleasure forevermore. Are you in need of the Lord's provision today? We all are. We all are. There might be some areas that need it more than others, but all of us need the Lord. Without Him, we can do nothing. These disciples saw an area they thought they could handle on their own. But by morning, they realized they couldn't handle it. They understood now that they could not meet their needs without the Lord's presence and the Lord's help. I don't know what you're going through today. But if we could pull back the curtain and look, I'd imagine a lot of us are going through some deep waters. And God wants to confront you in your area of poverty. Allow Him to expose that area where you just need to be honest and say, no Lord, I haven't really tried your way. Or tried with you for that matter. Admit if you've been trying in your own strength and wisdom Get your heart right with God today. Allow Him to step into the picture to show up and to teach you that His ways are always best. Wouldn't your Christian life be better if you would just obey what Christ asked, how He asked, and with His presence? I bet you'd stop coming up empty. Maybe you're without Christ today. I want you to know He's already provided a great salvation. You can be partakers of it. You just need to answer His call and call upon Him to save you. So if you need to respond, do so after we pray. Would you pray with me?